very end of the service, uh, I stumbled over what I was supposed to remember to tell you, and it wasn't anything monumental, which was great. In fact, uh, when I was leaving, or actually when I was kind of saying goodbye to everyone, somebody said, did you remember? And I said, remember what? And they said, they said well, what you were supposed to tell us. I said, you know, as soon as I got back there, I remembered. What I was going to tell you is not earth-shattering whatsoever, but I was going to make mention that we're starting a new series next Sunday morning. Again, not earth-shattering for many of you, but uh, but anyway, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, um, just I'll give you the, the title if you read it this morning. I, one thing, let me, let me say this too. One thing that I appreciate about this church is that at least you make me think you read the bulletin. You, you may not read it, but, but you make me think you do, and that's, that's, just, that's good enough for me. Don't, don't, don't tell me any different. I, 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 that's one of the things. I, I, I love my home church, but nobody read the bulletin there. Nobody. And when I served there, people would ask you a question. I said, well, it's in the bulletin. Really? Yep. We hand you one every Sunday. It was in there. Anyway, I, lo- I, I love it. You all read the bulletin. And I love my home church. That's where I grew up. I'm not trying to bash them. I just, you know, just they didn't read the bulletin. So anyway, um, so you may have read it in the bulletin, but it's a series called Beyond the Manger, um, stuff that you never knew you needed to know about the birth of Jesus and why it matters. And so as kind of a sneak peek uh, for next Sunday, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at the, the very first part of that, which is simply a record of the birth of, uh, the record of the family of Jesus, the genealogy of Christ, as your, your Bible may head that. And so we're going to kind of look at that. So if you're, you know, interested maybe in getting ahead or following along or whatever, then we'll be in Matthew chapter 1 beginning next Sunday morning. Each Sunday morning, just so you know, in this upcoming series, what we're going to look at is some of the stuff in the story of the birth of Jesus that is probably familiar, just kind of events that happened, people that were there, and so on. Uh, We're also going to uh, look at some of the prophecy. Uh, We'll spend two of the five Sunday mornings in December looking at some of the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in His coming to earth. And so, We'll look at, at trying to get beyond just reading the story to, to just be familiar with it and, and really get to what, what impact it can have on our lives. And on Sunday evenings, uh, beginning next Sunday night, we'll look at uh, four, because we've got one, uh, December 7th is our international mission study that Sunday evening. But in four of the, the Sunday nights in December uh, and, and, of course, November 30th, we'll look at different people, uh, individuals in the story surrounding the birth of Jesus and, and what God used them for, why would he include that person? Uh, people like Joseph, Jesus' dad. We don't hear much about him. We're going to kind of pick his character apart just a little bit. And Herod, the guy who tried to kill all the baby boys. Why, why, was, why was he in there? And, and so we're going to kind of look at that sort of thing. So uh, we'll focus on the entire story, the, the Christmas story, and yet try to pick out certain parts of it. So that's kind of where we're going. That's what I would have told you in not as great a detail this morning uh, had I not forgotten. Second thing that I need to make mention of uh, before I forget, these are all preliminary things that I will, will forget at the end, is in your bulletin this morning it was listed that we will have activities this Wednesday night, and since we're having our Tuesday night deal, we will not have our Wednesday night activities. So there's nothing this Wednesday night. We will, however, be at uh, Poplar Springs. Uh, is it Springs or Spring? Spring? I, I don't, I'll have to read the sign when I look for directions. But anyway, <laughs> it is indeed. Thank you. And I, I'm assuming you, you, you read it, so you know 
and I won't make you answer that. So uh, anyway, thank you. That's good. Uh, but we'll be there Tuesday night at 6.30, and, uh, and they are providing the meat and the drinks. And if you are able to attend, uh, we're asked to bring just side dishes and so on with us when we, when we come. So anyway, if you're available for that, it'd be great. This morning, as we kind of wrap things up at the end of the, the message, we looked at some of the things we can expect if, if we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like God commands us to do, and then to go out and fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us, to be His witnesses wherever lost people are, we can expect a lot of things. And, and I would encourage you one day, if you get the opportunity, to read through the book of Acts. It, it's an easy read. Some of the Bible, understand, it takes you maybe a little bit of time to kind of get through it because there's just a lot of really thick and deep kind of language and stuff there. The book of Acts is, is a very easy read in the sense that it reads much like a story. And so if you ever get the opportunity to do that, or if you're looking for a book of the Bible to begin studying, the book of Acts is really interesting. And, and it, it gives us over and over, if, if we do what God wants us to do, we, we can expect certain things. And as we looked at this morning very briefly, we can expect things like criticism. We can expect things like persecution, though in America we really don't face what's real persecution. We, we face mostly just criticism, confusion, complaints about us, and so on. But you can also expect boldness, that, that if you live with, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that He'll give you boldness that you never had before. And it's not boldness to go and slap somebody upside the head with your Bible. It's just boldness to do and say and be things that you might not ordinarily do and say and be. And so uh, I, I wanted to follow that up because... Paul is one of the main characters of the book of Acts, and, and his life was drastically changed, as you well know, if you, if you know his story. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 9, he was Saul, wandering around uh, trying to persecute Christians, and he was on his way to Damascus, and Jesus himself shows up, knocks Paul off his horse, blinds him for three days, changes his life, and then Paul is set on a course to be quite possibly... Uh, you know, the greatest evangelist that, that we have ever known, a church planter, a preacher, a guy who went around and, and his whole life mission was the gospel at that point. And so uh, Paul had people that he took along with him. If you know uh, Silas, uh, Barnabas, and Timothy were guys in the, in the book of Acts that he takes along with him. And, and he experienced, Paul did, a lot of the stuff that we can expect to experience. He had boldness like you wouldn't believe. He stood in front of people, in front of kings and rulers and jailers and everybody else and just told them the truth about Jesus. And yet he also experienced a lot of criticism, a lot of persecution. Paul was eventually executed for his faith. And, and, and he, through all that, uh, and through taking these guys around with him, was able to kind of pass on to them some of the things that they would need to know if they were not to change under that sort of duress. And so... As we wrap up this series on the change we really need, I, I, I want to kind of culminate it with, and I don't have a great title for this, but in essence, I want us to look at, at what really should never change and, and what we can go back to that does never change and, and what we can base and, and count our lives on. And so if you've got your Bible, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Second Timothy. Kind of, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament, something like that follows 1st Timothy. It's pretty good. That helps. 2nd Timothy. If you don't know where that is, please uh, absolutely go to the table of contents and, and look that up. It may be a book that you haven't uh, looked at in a while. 2nd Timothy 
is included with 1 Timothy and Titus as what are known as the pastoral epistles. They are letters from Paul uh, of a pastoral nature. And what that means basically is he's trying to help uh, those guys know how to be pastors the right way. He's trying to help them know how to guide their churches and teach their people and, and lead them because Paul is eventually, as he knows, he's going to be executed and he's got to have these guys that he's passed it on to. And so 2 Timothy... Uh, the context surrounding it, basically, and, 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 and let's let this kind of guide our thinking and, our, and the way that we process this tonight. Paul is in prison, and, and, and Paul is writing from the point of view that he knows that very soon he'll be executed. Now, none of us probably can, can quite relate to that, and yet we can all maybe know somebody who's been close to death, and you, you just kind of hang on every word they have to say because you don't know... What that, that, what that last word is going to be. And, and, and maybe you've been around somebody who they know it's their last encounter with you or they're moving on somewhere else or, or you're moving into a different stage of life. I think of, of youth pastors and pastors that I've had and, and kind of when they were moving on, some of the last things they said to us and we just tried to soak that up. And so have that in mind, this context that Paul's in prison writing to Timothy, who was his understudy, his apprentice in the ministry, and, and these are going to be his, his last words, and some of his last words, period. And, and so we have the good fortune that God uh, saw fit to inspire these words in Paul and, and pass them on to us. So that, that's where we are. And so uh, we, we, uh, we pick it up. Let's look at, at chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says this, verse 1. But mark this, remember this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul rants for about two or three verses there. I mean, it, I don't know about you, but it sounds like the day that Paul lived in is real similar to the day that we live in. You could go back through that list and pick apart every one of those, and we could all come up with examples. I know somebody like that. Or, goodness, isn't our country like that? Or our world seems to be headed down that path. And, and Paul says at the end of verse 5, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because in the case of those, in those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, we, we talked this morning about what you can expect to encounter. If you live for Jesus, you will certainly encounter and see the world this way, just as Paul did. You'll see it as people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, and so on. And so Paul is getting Timothy ready to say, look, here's what you're going to face. You're going to face some really difficult times. As a pastor, you've got to understand this. As a person who will help others toward Christ, you've got to understand this. Look, look, flip the page over to chapter 4. 
And let's look at verses 3 through 5 of chapter 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so Paul again warns Timothy that you're going to be around people who simply want you to tell them what they want to hear. And don't we live in a society like that? You probably can and tell stories of times when you've heard preachers or you've seen people that, that only teach what they know that people want to hear. And we see that on television, and, and a lot of it is called maybe a prosperity gospel, and we, we simply we like that because it, we walk away and it makes us feel so good, and God is, 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 is only love, and that's it. And then God is not, he, he's not condemning our sin because He's only love. And, and, we, and we sometimes can fall into that trap, and we believe false things. And, and Paul is warning Timothy that in, 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 in the future, you'll encounter those situations. And, and so... As a pastor, what was Timothy supposed to do about all the stuff that he saw going on around him? The people who were only in it for themselves, the people who only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear, and don't tell me any real truth or sound doctrine, as Paul calls it, but only tell me what's going to make me feel better. And, and we live in a world that's a lot like that, and don't read anything into this. I'm not accusing you of that. That's not the point. But we live in a world that is a lot like that today a world that is far from God, that only wants to hear about God in terms that they like, in terms that make them feel good. And so what was Timothy supposed to do about it? Check it out. Go up just a couple of verses. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. So here's what Timothy's supposed to do about it. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. Paul told Timothy, uh, this context of a guy handing off his ministry to someone else, this guy who would lead a church and maybe many churches, his number one charge in the face of all this junk that was going on in the world, all this evil, all these people that only wanted to be told what they wanted to hear, Paul's main charge to him was not, go and take them out. Paul's main charge to them was, to him was not, stand and, 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 and do what you shake them as best you can. And wake them. His, his charge was, preach the Word. And, and, and Paul understood something about the Word of God. And if you flip back to chapter 3, verse 10, we'll, we'll look at it. You, however, Timothy... Know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The context, of course, is Paul talking to another pastor to tell him in the face of all this junk, preach the word. Why? Because it is useful. It is God-breathed. It's profitable for all these things. Paul says preach the word, not just your own opinions, not just your stories, not just things that are felt needs. One of the things I love about the Scripture is that I may not feel the need to be corrected in a certain area, and yet God doesn't care if I feel the need or not. He still loves me enough to bring that need to light. And so uh, the reason being is because the Scripture is God-breathed. Look again at verse 16 of chapter 3. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, here, here's, here's where I want to take us tonight. We'll wrap up here in just, just a few minutes. Paul, when he's talking with Timothy, is telling him that the main thing that people need in their lives, in this world that is going to change and is going to get worse, and it's going to continue to deteriorate, people are going to get further and further from God, what is the one thing that Timothy has to give to the people? And that is the Word of God. And if it's that important for Paul to pass on to Timothy that, look, above all else, preach the Word, then it obviously is implied for us as believers that there is nothing more important in these times that we face than the Word of God. And so as we look at it tonight, I want us to look at chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 quickly, and we'll see why Paul was so adamant about preaching the Word of God. If you want to never change in the face of an ever-changing world, it's the Word of God that will get you there. Paul says that the Scripture is God-breathed. Now, your version may say it a little bit different, may say it's inspired, it may say something different than that, but, but basically what Paul is trying to get across is that the Scripture is inspired by God. It's not just something that some guy sat down and decided to write and it just somehow made its way into the Bible. The, 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 the Scripture itself, Paul says, was inspired, was told to these guys by God. And as a result of that, because God is perfect and He is inerrant, then the entire Scripture is without error, period. One of the things that, that folks will try to, to confuse us with today is, well, maybe this part of the Scripture is true and this part is not, or maybe this really doesn't mean what we think it might mean, and maybe this does. And the truth is this, that while there are different types of writing in the Scripture, and sometimes they use maybe a little bit of symbolism, you look at the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism in Revelation. You look at, at different things back in Isaiah and so on, a lot of symbolism in the prophecy and different things. You look at the, the book of Proverbs, and there's a, there's a lot of, of, of solid wisdom there. You look back in Genesis through Deuteronomy, there's history writing, there's the gospel writing, there's all sorts of different writings, and yet Paul says just because that there's different types doesn't mean that it's not all the Word of God. And so Paul says it's inerrant and it's inspired, which makes it authoritative. And it's not the words of these guys, even godly men, because these writers of, of the Scripture, they wrote other stuff that's not included in the Scripture because it wasn't inspired. This was what God want them, wanted them to write. My, my version says it's, it's God-breathed and it's useful. Uh, one other version I was reading earlier today says it's profitable. Maybe that's what yours says. That, that word basically just means it's productive, it's beneficial, it's sufficient for our lives. In Psalm chapter 19, 
You may want to write the reference down. If you want to get there, that's fine. Psalm chapter 19, David is writing, and he says this in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. David, even in the Old Testament, knew how valuable... The Word of God was the law of God, God's ordinances. And he said it revives the soul, it makes the simple wise, it gives joy to our hearts. You ever read the Scripture and walked away completely different because it did something in your soul that only God can do? The other day I, I was, was reading in, in Romans, and, and, I, and I couldn't stop. I don't know if you've ever been that way. I, just, I, I started about chapter 7, and I wound up, I read all the way through chapter 16. And it was one of those deals that I, I, didn't, I didn't spend a ton of time to stop and try to study every single word and that kind of thing. I just kept reading. And I got done, and God and I had a conversation there on the spot. I said, man, that's good stuff. So I told him, I said, God, that's just good stuff. That really is. It, it did something on the inside of me that I can't quite explain. It hit me right where I needed to be that day. The Scripture, Paul says, is useful. It's beneficial. It's profitable. Even David knew that. And Paul says it's useful for teaching. The truth is that you can't live a proper spiritual life without knowing spiritual truth. You ever tried? You ever tried to just kind of wing it? Have you ever had those... those dry seasons in your life where for whatever reason you just were apart from God's Word. Uh, I've been there and, and done that, and, and it's, it's one of those things I didn't, I try to, I'm going to try to know how to live life the right way and do it on my own, and, and I, it's just not coming to me. And, and, and then there are other times, uh, this, this actually yesterday, I was dealing with a situation that came up, and, and probably not a big deal to anyone else, but it was a big deal to me. And, and most people would look at it and say, that's petty. And, but I looked at it and said, that's just huge to me. And, and I, I was quickly reminded of Scripture that I'd read. And God basically just kind of interrupted my day and said, well, you know, do, do, you, do you not know who I am? Do you, do you not think that I can handle that situation? If I, I went back to Proverbs. We, we did that 30-day challenge. I went back to Proverbs, and I was reminded that that God holds the hands of the hearts of rulers in His hand, and He just changes them whichever way He wants to. Uh, God took me back to that verse, and and basically God said, if you if you think I can do that and can't handle this situation you're dealing with, are you kidding me? And God and I kind of had that conversation. Like I didn't say much, and He was just talking. And so, uh, you know, I know when to stop talking when it you know that kind of thing. Um, but the Scripture is is beneficial for teaching. For, for helping you understand spiritual truth. And, and here's, here's the danger. During the times when maybe we are away from God's Word, especially if you're a person who is relatively new to walking with Jesus, and I realize in this room we've got a spectrum of people. We have some folks who have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. And we have others who are probably just in the infant stages of that. 
If you've either been away from God's Word for a while, or if you're kind of new at walking with Jesus, I, I want to strongly encourage you that the teaching that you need most is found in the Word of God. Because without that, without that, you will be very susceptible to any sort of teaching whatsoever. I, I really want to put it before you this way. I, I believe that all of us should absolutely study the Bible as our primary source of information and wisdom and so on. Especially, especially those of us who maybe are newer at walking with Jesus than others. If you know somebody who's like that, I want to encourage you strongly, get them in front of a Bible that they can read and that they, they can understand. Get them a study Bible. Do something to get the Word of God in front of them or else they'll be susceptible to whatever new fad is coming along. It's interesting to me, I worked with teenagers for a long time, and, and much of their theology, their understanding of God is built on music. Because if you listen, I happen to be a little bit of a country music fan. I, I, don't, I listen, I, I, I feel like, and, and, and I feel like I'm getting older, and I don't mean this in any way as, as um, yeah. I actually, this is the life I prefer, though, so understand this. I, I'm speaking from, from you know, a, a point of strength here. I get up a lot earlier than I used to, and, not, and all I listen to is talk radio. I just feel like, you know, my dad does that. What, you know, what's going on here? And so, anyway, so I, I'm kind of out of the loop a little bit on country music these days, but I used to listen to a lot of it. You know, if you get your theology from country music, you're in trouble. I just want to tell you that. If you walk with God based upon what you hear in country music songs, you're in trouble, you know, because, because you'll think that, I don't, I'm not even going to get into it. I mean, it, it's just, or, or if, if, you know, and again, I worked with young people, and, and, and so much of what they, they believe, and I'm telling you this, and it's not a slam against young people. It's just simply the world we live in. So much of what they believe is shaped by what they listen to and the music that becomes their anthem, their theme song for life. And it changes about every three or four weeks. They got a new one, but it, 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 it does. And so for our young people, for those of us who maybe are, have not been walking with Jesus for very long, we have got to get ourselves grounded, absolutely grounded in the truth from God's Word, or we'll believe anything. We will. We'll believe anything. You know people like that. There are people in this room that have probably been there and done that. You say, you know what? I, I, yeah, I've been there. And I got myself grounded. Now I know the truth. The Bible is useful for teaching. It'll guard you to keep what you know, and it'll help you to seek to learn more. It's also, Paul says, for rebuking. And basically, and that word's a strong term, and we don't really use that word very much anymore. We don't use the word, well, you know, I rebuked him or something like that. We don't use that. But basically, that word means correcting. It basically means that you draw attention to what's false or what's wrong. And the Bible is good about that. It exposes sin. Some folks get upset when we start talking about sin. And, and I, I, I hesitate to, to, to say you know, anything that's unloving toward them because the most loving thing that God could do is expose our sin. I mean, the most loving thing He could do is help us understand where we've gone wrong so that we'd know we've got a problem so that we could then turn to Him as the solution. And so when we begin to, to look at the Scripture and it exposes our sin, to me, that's a loving thing that God has done. I'm glad that He continues to shape me. And, and there are times in my life when it'll just hit me, and I'll come across something in the Scripture, and immediately I'm almost arrested by the presence of God, knowing that, I, that I've been wrong. And, and so it exposes this rebuking part, exposes 
our falsehood, our errors in belief. And, and then the, the Scripture then becomes the standard by which every thought, every impulse, every action, everything that we do, every guiding principle we operate by, the Scripture then becomes the judge of all that. The Bible goes on, Paul says, rebuking and correcting. Correcting, that word there in, in its original language means that it restores to its original purpose. It sets back up something that has fallen. The great thing about the Bible is this, that not only does it tear down and expose our sin, and in some cases we just feel, oh my gosh, I'm just so worthless before God, but at the same time He comes right back behind that and, and corrects and lifts back up and builds us back up and helps us to understand that God is for us, not against us. That when He exposes our sin, yeah, He wants that out of our lives, but it's for the purpose of getting us back on point with Him. And God always, always does that. And then finally, Paul says, training in righteousness. The truth is this, that for the entire point, the the entire remainder of your life, however long that is, for years, for months, whatever it may be, that God's plan for you is for you to continue to grow and to be trained in Him and to know Him more each and every single day. And, and, and it, it both encourages me when I see someone who finishes strong like that. Their entire life, no matter how long they live, is lived to know Jesus more each and every day and to come alive in Him more than they did the day before. And I'll be honest with you, it disappoints me and breaks my heart to see folks who just kind of exist because once they were really set on fire for the Lord and they just kind of, well, you know, I, yeah, I've done my, my time with God. Well, I tell you, to be trained in righteousness till the day you die and it never ends, that's the plan that God has for you. And so Paul's charge to Timothy as a pastor who would be leading people was before you do anything else and above everything else that you do, Preach the Word. Because the Word of God, far beyond any program that our church could offer, far beyond any music that we could sing, far beyond any words of mine that you could listen to and maybe get something out of, the Word of God is the foundation for your life. And if you build it on that, your life will never be the same and you will not be shaken when these times that Paul talks about begin to surround you as they have today. You want the change that God really wants in your life. Base your life on the Word of God alone. Get into it. Begin to study it. Develop a love for it. In in recent years, God has developed in me a love for His Word that I hadn't known before. And I had memorized a lot of Scripture as a kid. I had let God's Word sink into my heart, and and yet in recent times, it's, it's, it's because I think the more that I... Maybe especially, I want to be honest with you, especially since I've been here um, and I stand before you every Sunday and I realize if I don't come with the Word of God, then I might as well not come at all. And so um, it, it, is, it has been so cool, if I may use a term that hopefully we all understand. It's been so cool to see what God has done in developing a love for His Word in me that, that has just been amplified since I've been here. And And so I take Paul's charge as a pastor to put before you the Word of God as what is supreme, period, supreme. Not me, not any counsel I can give, not not any program we can create, not anything that we can do, but the Word of God is supreme. And I want to pass that on to you to let you know that 
what you need in your life, as I do, is simply to be enveloped and passionate about the Word of God. And again, as I told you last Sunday night, there are certain things that I just can't totally explain to you. I can't totally explain how the Word of God can come alive in your life, but I know it can. I can't totally explain all the stuff that God does when you just allow Him to fill you up, but He, he does. And, and so, as we move forward off of this morning's message to be, the, I believe, the church that God really wants us to be, to be the individuals God wants us to be, I want to make the commitment to you that I will preach the Word. And, and we may not always agree on every single thing. I don't know. I hope we do. But we probably won't. I still love you. I hope you'll still love me. But I hope we can agree that what is foundational and what we need each and every time that we get together in every day of our lives is simply the Word of God. And so as we look at it each week, I hope that with the, the study guide maybe that I give you to follow along with, that it drives you to the Word of God, not to think, oh, wow, well, that was really creative. I'm glad he said that question. Drives you to the Word of God. As we look at next week, the genealogy of Jesus, let it drive you deeper to the Word of God. And so tonight as you leave, I hope that, that you receive the challenge, the encouragement that God's Word is profitable, that it's useful, that it can help you understand, and that it can be the foundation to build your life on especially those of us maybe that have been away from it for a while or those of us that are kind of new at walking with Jesus. Give your life to the Word of God and, and you'll never, ever be the same. Let's, uh, let's close in a, in a song, shall we, about that? Nelson, thanks again for helping out today. I sure appreciate that. I told Nelson I, I, that I, yeah, I, he, he and I share a, a similar haircut, and so <laughs> I, I always enjoy when he's standing next to me. I, you know, I feel a little better about myself. And if I can look half as good as you, you know, 10 years from now when I get to be your age, then, you know, you're only 10 years older than me, right? <laughs> That'd be great. Man, why don't you lead us? If you would, stand with us as we close. 321.